And I, you know, how many were not here last night? Oh man, well welcome, welcome. I'm glad you're here, finally. Better late than never. Just kidding. But when Jesus comes back, make sure you're early. Just kidding. Just kidding. For those who are unfamiliar, I've met a couple of you that have said, everybody seems to know you around here. Who are you? <laughs> and for those of you who are unfamiliar, please take your hand out and flip over to the back. You will find on the back of that handout at the bottom the information for our ministry, Renewed Heart Ministries. Uh, we started this ministry about three or four years ago. But we've been doing this for over a decade now. Um, we are a gospel-centered ministry that is committed to sharing a certain picture of God with this world that you can only see, honestly, I'm sorry, but you can only see it through the Adventist lens. We're committed to also trying to find a culturally relevant way of sharing it with our postmodern world. How many are familiar with Renewed Heart Ministries? How many have been on our website? Anybody here get our materials, get our, get our newsletter? I just, I'm not going to do a lot of promo. I'm not really into talking about us. I'm more into talking about him. So um, if you want to check us out, just go online. Everything you need to know about Renewed Heart Ministries and everything you, that's safe for you to know about Herb Montgomery is right there on the website and you can find all that out yourself once again I want to mention the new book how many have this how many have gotten a whole copy of it already anybody read it so far good and you're still here that's a good sign um, you know I read this book and I didn't pick it up this morning and flip through it but while I was at the Iowa Missouri camp meeting a couple weeks ago they asked me to come up and say a few words about it in the adult meetings and I came up and before I got up there, I just opened it up randomly and read it. And when I picked this book up, you're not supposed to say this about something you wrote. I know that. But every time I read this, I cannot believe it came out of my headspace. I'm just overwhelmed with the picture of God afresh every time I pick up this book. Every time I read it, it just it brings tears to my eyes. And I sit there and say, man, who wrote this? So either... It was a God thing, or the Review and Herald has some pretty good editors, or, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's both. But um, pick up a copy. We're going to be building off of the concepts in this book. I'm not going to spend time repeating some of these things, because we've laid that foundation already here a couple years ago. And I don't want to go over that ground again. This morning, I need your prayers. I should say everything that we're going to be covering this week is built upon the things in this book, except for this morning's talk. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking about a topic that I swore years ago that I would never talk about in an Adventist church or in an Adventist setting. I need your prayer sincerely because two weeks ago when I asked God, well, what do you want me to share Sabbath morning there in Arizona? He told me to talk about this. And I said, oh, God, no. I said, I'm not going to do it. He says, well, you don't need to understand why. You just need to do it. So I don't know which one of you this is for this morning. But please know that it comes at a high cost to me. 
but I love you. And we're going to talk about this whether I want to or not. Amen? Amen. Let's pray one more time. Precious Father, just thank you. Thank you so much this morning for being who you are. Lord, whatever diplomatic fallout transpires as a result of the next 45 minutes, Father, we just place this, next, this time in your hands. We ask you to bless it, Father, whatever you want to happen. Lord, you've done so much for us. This morning, we're not asking for any more. Lord, this morning, we want it to be about you. You do what you want with this time. We're giving it to you. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. It says, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal what? You know, that's really what we're about, isn't it? We're about an everlasting gospel. And each one of our unique teachings is a unique puzzle piece. And I don't know if you've noticed this. I'm sure you have because I'm not the only Adventist here. Amen? Sometimes we like to argue about the unique pieces of our message. And we've forgotten that as much as we have something unique to say about even the details, the real reason we've been brought into existence is to give a unique description of the character of our God. Amen? Amen. It's about Him. Last summer, I had the privilege of being at Iowa, Missouri. This is my third summer there in a row. Last summer, I was there as well, and I was finishing a presentation, and right at the end of it, somebody had the nerve, and I thought we'd gotten rid of all these people in our church, but they're still around. Some people, somebody had the nerve to get to stand up in the middle of my presentation. And my, my, you're welcome to. I mean, you got the guts to do it. Have at it. Stand up in the middle of my presentation. And they said literally, quote unquote, Herb, enough. I said, okay. Enough of what? They said, enough of this God is love stuff. I said, now they really got my attention. Okay. I want to know what makes us different than that church down the road. They said that Episcopal church down the road. Well, I took offense to that because my grandmother comes from a long line of Episcopals. My grandfather comes from a long line of Presbyterians. I don't know how they ever got along. They are very different. Presbyterians are more conservative. Isn't that true? Any, any post-Presbyterians here? Any current Presbyterians here? Episcopals are a little different. They say, you know, whether one or two are gathered in my name, there I'll be there. Well, wherever three or four Episcopals are gathered, you'll find a fifth. You'll get it later. <laughs> my grandfather used to sit, tell that joke to my grandmother just to get her goat. But what sets us apart from all those different denominations? I mean, everyone else says God is love too and God loves you too. And so we should be saying something different, quote unquote. Sometimes we have a real fixation with our need to be different. And I understand it. We should be different somehow or else there's no reason for us to exist. Amen? But the difference, brothers and sisters, is not that they're preaching the gospel so we need to preach the law. Careful. I didn't mean that either. 
there's a balance. There is. And it's not that we, they're preaching God's love, so we shouldn't. We have something just as unique to say about God's love and the gospel as we do about everything else, don't we? Amen. Don't we? And matter of fact, it's the uniqueness of what we have to say about God's love and the gospel that's at the center of all the other unique things we have to say. Are you hearing me? And they only have relevance and importance as they reveal the uniqueness of the God that we have been raised to proclaim. But it's about Him, isn't it? So we see another angel, and we believe this is applying to us, having an eternal what to preach. So we know that at our core, our message is, very simply, the gospel. Amen? Amen? And it says, to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now, we don't have time to do a discourse on the book of Revelation this morning. But we know that the reason that group is mentioned is because that is the group that has been infiltrated and influenced by a counterfeit presentation of what God is like. Am I right? Christianity has done an awful job of portraying who and what God is to this world. I'm sorry, we have. And I'm a Christian, so I can say that. But there have been days when I have been tempted to try and come up with a new religion that we could label something different than Christianity. Are you hearing me this morning? But we're stuck with it because it's in the Bible. Jesus was the Christ. And we are followers of Him, but I'm being honest with you this morning. There are mornings that I wake up and I sympathize with great historic figures in the world like Gandhi. How many have ever looked at anything that, you know, Gandhi was really sometimes more in tune with what Jesus taught and less in tune with what Hinduism is than what sometimes Christians are. What does it really mean to follow the teachings of Christ? Well, that's not what this morning's about. It says, uh, he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I've heard sermons on what it means to fear God. And we're not going to deal with that this morning, although I was so tempted. I said, Lord, why don't you let me do that? That would be enjoyable to, to, to pull apart biblically what it really means to fear God. And by the way, if you would like a, a more in-depth look at that, I want to recommend, I want to refer you to our website. If you go online to RenewedHeartMinistries.com, you'll see a menu at the top of that website. If you click on resources, it'll drop down just like every other website. How many are familiar with how websites work? There is still hope. Yes. It'll drop down, and on that, it's, there's a link there that says Insights. Click on that, Insights. It'll take you to a whole new page, and you will click on a date that says June 21st, 2009. That the subject of fearing God was dealt with at length right there in an email that we sent out. We were getting a lot of comments at that time about, you know, you preach about God's grace and God's mercy. What about mixing it with a little stern justice? That was another email we got. I thought, you know, that's so, we do need to be balanced, amen? But the, the reason we emphasize what we do, because both God's love, God's mercy, and His justice, God's mercy and His justice are both only understood as we come to understand God is love. That's at the center, amen? 
and his mercy, mercy and justice are both fruits of that center core of love, first and foremost. He is more than merciful. He is more than just. God is love. Amen? So we deal with that at length there. So you can look at that part. Give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. You guys all know that. We're Adventists, right? We know about the judgment, right? Right? Not going to pull that out of the closet. You can go look at that yourself. There's this other part. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of water. And we like to jump right in there and say, well, it's all about Sabbath because it's a reference here to the fourth commandment and that is exegetically correct that is true the sabbath commandment is being quoted here but there's that interesting word there used first off of what it means to worship i've defined the word for you from a few dictionaries i kind of did a compilation of definitions that I found from various places. But what I found the word worship really means, look there in your gray section. What's that first word there? Love. Now notice it says to love unquestioningly and uncritically. To venerate, to show devotion, a feeling of profound love and admiration. I have to be honest because that caught me off guard. Most of the sermons that I have heard of recent on the subject of worship have to do with either what day you worship on or the manner in which you worship on that day. Do you know what I mean by that? You all have seen the new t-shirt that's out. The Great Controversy. How many have seen the new Great Controversy t-shirt? You haven't seen it? Maybe it's not gone around. It's going around on our college campuses. That's where I saw it in one of the collegiate groups that I was speaking at recently. This kid had a great big t-shirt on, said the great controversy, and underneath it had a big old drum set right on his t-shirt. <laughs> there is a temptation to drift into issues nowadays when we talk about the subject of worship. But I think the subject of worship goes a lot deeper. And I'll explain to you why. Now, it doesn't mean the other stuff isn't important, but I'll tell you why. Ten years ago, I had the privilege. I was showing up to a new ministry at that time. I had left Florida, had moved to Washington. And I think both the guys that ran that ministry looked at each other and said, let's initiate Herb real well. And so the request came in for three week, a three-week seminar in Pakistan. Herb's only been here a month. Let's send him. Later I found out, honestly, it was because one of them had already been and the other one didn't want to go. So stick it with the new guy or stick the new guy with it. And there was an interesting phenomena over there. There was a tent there in Lahore. There was about 3,000 people that would show up every night. And they would, they had all of their Pakistani instruments, which their worship service, I will be quite honest, even you and adults too, it would make you feel a little uncomfortable. 
Now, these were not Adventists. They were of all different denominations and faiths. But they came together for one week, and they were going to listen to an Adventist preacher, which I thought was kind of, I don't know how that happened still to this day. It was just the coolest experience. My translator was the equivalent of the Billy Graham of Pakistan. There was one night where he was translating for me, and he had to just stop. I'll never forget this. He was just, you know, when you're trans, I hate translating. Anybody ever done anything with translation? Oh, I hate translating. You speak, they speak. You speak, they speak. You speak, they It is my turn. <laughs> Quit interrupting. <laughs> but you speak, they speak. You speak, they speak. And I was on a roll and I was speaking and then he said nothing. I was speaking and then he said nothing. He was speak I was I said something and I repeat I kept repeating it, repeating it, repeating it, and he wouldn't say it. And I was about to lose my sanctified temper. And I looked over at him and he was just in tears. He couldn't speak. He looked at me and in his English, he said, please, please, please wait. He said, I've never seen God like this before. We had a good time that, those three weeks. But what amazed me the most, what, what was the birth, I think, of this topic that I'm sharing with you this morning. When these wheels first began to turn in my head ten years ago. They would show up at 5.30. Sing for three hours. And then at 8.30... Ask me to get up and speak and be upset if I went for less than 60 minutes. I thought these are cool people. I was thankful because it's really only a half an hour of content. You'll figure that out later too. But what broke my heart is on the weekend... The folks that had invited me there, and I don't, I'm not saying anything against the institution, but they invited me there to the, the conference office in the, the compound there, the Adventist compound, to speak Sabbath morning. And so I show up there, and we walk into this little chapel, and the worship service was very different. Very different. Over at the other tent, they had all of their instruments, and they were all just sitting on the floor of this tent. There were no chairs. They are all just sitting on the floor. Be thankful that you've got chairs, amen? I'm at some meetings, and I look around right now, and you guys have got padded chairs. That's even better. Adults, too. I don't know why adults, too, would need padded chairs. <clears throat> Proves that we really are adults. They were sitting on the floor and they would be singing and, and it was just, I mean, the atmosphere of that room. You could see what was in the hearts of these worshipers. I am sad to say this morning that when I went to the local Adventist church that weekend, I walked in and there were 15 pews on each side of this little room. There was the little compartments on the back of each pews with the hymnals in them. There was an organ on the right 
there was a piano on the left. And I literally felt like I had just been transported out of one culture and miraculously dropped back into the United States. Their worship service fit the exterior criteria of what some in our church say worship needs to look like. But when I looked, and I know this is a judgment call, and maybe God will hold me accountable for this, or maybe He was talking to me that day. But I looked into the hearts of the worshipers in that room, and I could not see for sure what was going on in their hearts towards Jesus. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't anything going on in their hearts. I'm not making that judgment. I'm just saying I couldn't see it. Are you with me? I mean, it, was very, it would have been very easy for them to hide in that. Whether they were really worshiping Jesus or whether they were just going with the system. I walked away from that morning service and I thought, Dear God, forgive us. We've not introduced them to you. We've westernized them instead. But what would it look like, take the principle, to take our truth out of this culture, distill it down to just truth with no cultural attachments, and to take it and to drop it into a completely different culture? Would it look different? Would it still be biblical truth? But would it look different? It might not match our cultural expectations. It may not look like we expect it to. Are you hearing me? You don't have to go to a third world to experience that anymore, brothers and sisters. You just need to step out of our congregation once in a while and step into a room filled with postmoderns. It looks very different. And church would be defined very differently. But can truth still reach and be even proclaimed by postmoderns? Some of you say, well, I hope so. I is one. It's true. Most of us are, whether we realize it or not anymore. Some people are still fighting postmodernism. We don't realize... It's already here. Worship. What is worship? Well, at its core, it's not about what instrument's in your hand. I mean, where I come from, worship is with a mandolin and a banjo. You know what that means? I'm from West Virginia, if you, have, if you don't know that. 11 million people, 17 last names. West Virginia. <laughs> I'll prove it to you. Two years ago, I jumped in a plane and went 13,000 feet into the air, and there was nothing wrong with the plane. But I still jumped out of it. And when I got to the bottom, I decided I should have figured, I should have asked these questions before I jumped out. But the guy that I was strapped to, I said, Man, we just went through something incredible together. Tell me about yourself. 
In hindsight, that was the wrong order. <laughs> I found out he was from West Virginia. When I was in California doing this, and he was from West Virginia, he lived about an hour from where I did, and uh, we were related. <laughs> Distantly, but we were related. Kind of neat. It doesn't matter. What I, un what I begin to see biblically about the subject of worship is that it's not so much what's in your hand as what's in your heart. Amen. There are a lot of different forms of worship on this planet depending upon your history, your culture, what you're comfortable with and what associations you may have with certain things. Are you hearing me? I look into your hearts this morning and I see a love for Jesus. Amen? But I know just as sincere Christians who love Jesus just as much in their heart that some of the stuff here is associated with a life that would make it very uncomfortable for them. Are you hearing me? And we need to be tolerant of that. Amen? The tolerance that we wish would have been granted to you 10 years ago, we need to now be granting to the others. Am I right? Because when it comes down to biblically, the subject of worship is more about an unquestioning love for God. Isn't it? Do you know what it means to come to a place in your relationship with God where you love Him unquestioningly? I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. And I'm just being honest. I still have a lot of questions. And I, is that too honest to you, for you? Is that too transparent? I know I'm the preacher this week. But if I was to stand before you and just be honest, I have to tell you there are some areas of my heart that God is still winning my trust in. Now I'm with Him. I serve Him. But he and I are still deepening in our relationship of one another. And I am still learning to trust him more fully every day. Amen? I'm not to that blanket unquestioningly yet. Now I know at some point I'm going to get to the place where I may still have questions. But he has proven himself time and time again. And I just know that even though I don't understand that, if I sit down with him long enough, I'm going to come to the right answer. I'm going to see he's right. I'm not there yet. Are you hearing me? I still need him to explain some things for me. But I know that's where we're headed. Amen? Uncritically. Some of us don't realize the criticism that we still have in our heart, even towards God. Some of the things that we've been through in our life, we still have questions about. and We're still needing to work through some of this. If I were God, I would have. And I don't care who you are. All of us have a root of that somewhere inside of us, don't we? To venerate, to show devotion, a feeling of profound love and admiration. How do we get that? We're going to talk about that before we close today. Because there is one example. I've only found one example in the Bible that I think really nails the fullness of of what worship really is. And it's interesting, there wasn't even any music playing in the room at the time. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Worship. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ 
richly dwell within you. That is what I feel is the first criteria. You have to know God before you'll want to worship Him. Amen? Not just know about Him. You have to know Him. You have to come to see the same God Jesus saw. Amen? Come to love the same God that Jesus loved. To catch what the message of Christ really was about. Who it was about. And how Jesus described what God is like. Once that is accomplished in each of our hearts, it makes sense that we with all wisdom, we would teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And some people are trying to dissect this verse today and make a difference between hymns and, 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 and psalms and, and, and spiritual songs. And honestly, in the Greek, they're all just synonyms. He's just giving synonyms here. What he's meaning is with music. Does music play a part in worship? But music can become a very dangerous thing in worship on both sides of the spectrum. If what's transpiring in the heart isn't genuine love and adoration for God. In the Bible, as I just punch in the word worship, we we find that worship can take on, biblically now, it can take on two totally different characteristics. In Psalms 95 verse 6, it says, Come, let us worship and what? Bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Now tell me, is that kind of worship more solemn or more celebratory? It's more solemn. There's a solemnity to it. And yet on the other side of it, you have Psalms like Psalms 150. And I'm so thankful that David wrote both of these passages. He says, Praise the Lord! Praise God where? Even in the sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. I mean, isn't God, and I know this is so trite and overused, but really, isn't God great? And it says, praise Him with the what? With the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and where? What? Shh, some of us would rather read the clear word when it comes to this point. You know what I mean? Dancing in the sanctuary? Herb, we are not Pentecostals. There was more charismatic flavor in our worship service when the dear little lady was alive. Do you realize that? There was. Now, I'm not saying go nuts. (laughs) What I'm saying is that it's a sin to feel unimpassioned at the foot of the cross, to feel emotionally shut down when you're at the foot of the cross. Now, I know emotions are scary, aren't they? You know why they're scary? Because you can't control them. And I've been an Adventist long enough that I know that whatever we can't control, we're afraid of. We're afraid that it'll get out of hand. But at some point, you're going to have to trust the Spirit. At some point. And I'm not, I know there's extremes. I'm saying balance this morning. Dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments. Jared. Jared, I love you, dude, but I was sitting right in front of your speaker the whole worship service. <laughs> and my ear is still ringing. <laughs> yeah. 
Praise him with loud symbols, Daryl. Praise him with resounding symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That really is in the Bible, and I don't know what to do with it, honestly. Because I have to admit to you, I am a conservative Adventist. There are a lot of things in it. It's just, yeah, David, yeah. And I have, can I just be honest with you and transparent? I look at this and I don't know how to incorporate that into an Adventist congregation. I don't know how to do it. Just being honest. Some of you say, well, I'm not going to support his ministry anymore. (laughs) Telling you, I swore I'd never talk about this in public. A psalm of thanksgiving, shout joyfully to the Lord. What would happen if somebody in one of our congregations started shouting? What would happen? Thanks, Vance, I can count on you. Shout all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before, his, come before him with joyful singing. Again, I will build you and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. I love this verse. Do you know why? This comes after a chapter after chapter where he's been calling Israel a whore. And then he turns around and calls her a what? Man, God's grace is amazing. Amen? That's a totally different sermon, but we're not going to preach that one today. Again, you will take up your what? Your what? Bunch of hippies? Yeah. And it says, and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. We're going to read in the moment about a woman who was a harlot made a virgin once again. And what was happening in her heart I think would have been rightly expressed through tambourines and the dances of merrymaking. Is there a place for that in biblically correct worship? Is there? There has to be or it wouldn't be here. Are you hearing me? And I know that makes those of you who are like me very uncomfortable. I'm with you. I don't know. I've heard lots of sermons about first selected messages, and so I have to mention it. The context, it says there was a fanatical, some of you, this is going to be a history lesson. For some of you, this is old hat. It's okay, bear with me. Go over to your notes. It says, a fanatical teaching termed the doctrine of holy flesh, which started in the 1900s, in where? In Indiana, leading the conference, leading the conference president and various workers into serious what? It can happen. This theory alleged that those who follow the Savior must have their fallen natures perfected by passing through a Garden of Gethsemane experience, thus acquiring a state of physical sinlessness as an essential preparation for translation. Eyewitness accounts report that in their services, the fanatics worked up a high pitch of excitement by use of what? I told you music can be dangerous if Jesus isn't in the heart. Amen? 
but using musical instruments. But this is where I get confused on that whole line of logic. And I, you, those of you who have encountered it, you know what I'm talking about. It said there was such use of organs, flutes, fiddles, tambourines, horns, and even a big bass drum. Now this was before Elvis, okay? <laughs> B.E. And yet it seems the only thing we've latched on to, it's okay to play our fiddles in church, isn't it? I know churches that do that. Violins, I'm sorry. I'm from West Virginia. We don't know what a violin is. Oh, a fiddle, gotcha. Flutes, we play flutes in church, don't we? We play organs in church, don't we? Tambourine, we even play horns. There are some people that play horns in church. Those suckers are loud. But tambourines and a big bass drum, those got picked off the list. Those are the ones she's really saying are evil. I don't understand. I'm just being honest. I just, and once again, I, I have very strong conservative feelings about this subject, but I don't understand the logic here. Are you, maybe someone can help me out. It says, they sought, this is what's scary, they sought a physical demonstration, they shouted and prayed and sang until someone in the congregation would fall prostrate, unconscious. Music is a powerful thing. Now watch what would happen. From his seat, one or two men walking up and down the aisle for the purpose. Sorry, did I get lost? Walking, okay, from his seat. Okay, one or two men walking up and down the aisle for the purpose would drag the fallen person up on the rostrum. And then about a dozen individuals would gather around the prostrate body, some singing, some shouting, some praying, all at the same time. And when the subject revived, he was counted among those who had passed through the Gethsemane experience and had obtained holy flesh and had translation faith. That's pretty scary. It says, therefore it was asserted he could not sin and would never die. Elders S.N. Haskell and A.J. Breed, two of our leading denominational ministers, were sent to the camp meeting held at Muncie, Indiana from September 13 to 23, 1900 to meet this fanaticism. These developments were revealed to Mrs. White while she was in Australia in January 1900, and she bore testimony of warning and reproof against it as seen in the two following messages. She had strong words to say that stuff like this would happen Again, right before the close of probation. How many have read those statements referring to Indiana? And as much as I believe what she says, I think sometimes this is misapplied to stuff that is so far removed from what was going on in Indiana as possibly could be. But we must be careful. What was the real problem with the Holy Flesh movement? What was the real problem with it? It was taking Jesus and replacing him as Savior with an experience. A fanatical experience that had a physical demonstration worked up by instruments that included the organ. Are you hearing me? (laughs) 
I just don't understand is what I guess I'm saying this morning. I know there's extremes. Well, I'm not going to hold you much longer. Second Chronicles 5, it says, Thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. When the priest came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, J- 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 that guy, and their sons and kinsmen. Don't make fun of me. You can't pronounce it either. Sure you can. Uh-huh. Their sons and kinsmen clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar with them 120 priests blowing trumpets. Would that have been so loud that you couldn't hear yourself sing? Yes. It says, in unison with the trumpeters and singers, they were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And they lifted up their voice and accompany, accompanied by the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music. And they praised the Lord saying, He indeed is good and His loving kindness is everlasting. This is the rebuilding of the temple by Solomon. And all of a sudden God comes down and says, Hold on a second, let me teach you something about the way you're doing this. Is that what He does? No. What was in their heart? Now, would this style of worship make some of us uncomfortable today? Be honest. Would it make some of us uncomfortable? Yes. But what's the result? It says, then the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud so that the priest could not even stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Did God respond negatively or did he respond positively? To this form of worship. But understand, it was a heart in love with their God. Praising God through a culture that only they knew. Are you hearing me? It was a cultural expression of what was really in their heart. And God does not look at the outward. He looks at the inward. I think it's possible for someone to praise God the wrong way when their heart is not involved. And it could be either side of the debate. But I think if your heart is in the right place, if your heart's in love with Jesus, then the worship and devotion and love and adoration that's going to be coming out of your heart to God cannot find a wrong way to be expressed if it's genuine in the heart. You'll, you'll sense what's fanatical and fake. And you'll steer clear of that because what's in your heart is real. And yes, it's a little bit more subjective than what we're comfortable with. Amen? 15, 20. Put yourself in the sandals of the people that just came across the Red Sea for a minute. They're walking through skyscraper tall walls of water. And they can't see what's holding it up. But the ground is dry and they're walking through the middle of it. They get to the other side. What do you think their natural heartfelt expression is going to be? Once to every man and nation. If that's your favorite hymn, don't get mad at me. 
Miriam the prophetess, the prophet. Aaron's sister took the witch instrument, timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with what? Man, I'd have been excited too. Psalms 149 verse 3, let, him, let them praise his name with what? Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. Once again, I don't know what to do with that. But I'm thankful it's in the Bible. It stretches my, my, yeah, my comfort zone for sure. That's not what I was looking for. But yes, it does that for sure. 2 Samuel 6, I love this story. And some of you know David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. If we really understood what one of those were, we would understand the difficulty in dancing with a linen ephod on. It's there for a reason. You usually didn't mix those two, and we're about to find out why. It says, So David and all the houses were bringing up the ark of the Lord, were shouting in the sound of the trumpet. And then it happened, as the ark of the Lord came into the city that, of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in, his, in her heart. When David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants and our handmaid, servants' handmaids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. Do you catch what David's only response? It was before the Lord. Do you get who it was I was excited about? It was before the Lord. What a defense, amen? It was before God. Some of you are not going to let me preach anymore this week. <laughs> I am just being honest. It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the Lord, the Lord over Israel, ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this. In other words, he was saying, it's going to get a lot worse. And will be humble in mine own eyes. There is a level of vulnerability that it takes among us as a people in an Adventist worship service just to even raise your hand. Are you hearing me today? And there are people that will look at you and not think positively toward you. There will be people. It is a humbling thing to before others praise God. It is very humbling. I know there are extremes. May we be balanced. Amen. Nehemiah 8.6, we're almost done. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. And while they were lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Please understand, the Bible does talk about both. There's a time to raise your hands, yes. There seems to be, biblically, a time for timbrels and dancing in the sanctuary. I don't know where that fits, whether that's Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday at 8.30, Saturday at 3.30, definitely not at 11 on Saturday, because that's suicidal. You will get stoned. 
But realize there's also a time when we are to stand in awe before God and what he is. And he will move us to even put our faces on the ground and just be still. Amen? Will our biblical understanding of the nature of worship allow for both? That's the question. And I think if our heart experiences true worship, then the outward expression of that worship will be tolerable. My prayer, may my prayer be counted as incense before you. I did want to bring this up. The lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. It is interesting to me that in our culture, the lifting up of the hands is associated with one side of the coin. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm trying to be PC here. While biblically lifting up of your hands was not associated with the celebratory aspect of worship, but more the solemn kneeling quieter aspect of worship. That's just an interesting side note that biblically they view the lifting up of hands as a very conservative form of worship. This was not the time to dance and shake a timbrel. This was very, very, very solemn. 1 Timothy 2 verse 8. Paul wrote, Therefore I want men in every place to what? pray lifting up of holy hands and this is the key without what and what what's the bigger issue here I am sorry you may not like me for saying this but I'm going to say it if lifting your hand in worship is going to cause dissension and a schism in the body then the tribe that you're worshiping with is probably not ready for that And the bigger fish to fry at that moment is unity. Are you hearing me? Stay unified. Only walk as fast as the children's legs will carry them. Isn't that what Abraham did? Be patient. You may have stuff going on in your heart that'll freak people out beside you if you express it. Remember, the same God loves you both. And if you love God, you're going to love those sitting beside you that he died for, whether they understand you or not. Amen? Luke 7. And this is her. She's my favorite person in the Bible. I love this woman. I am so thankful that her story is in the Scriptures. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. You know what that means? I mean, I call myself a sinner, but I don't mean it like this. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at a table in the what? Whoo! You don't understand how hard that would be. And the specific Pharisee it was. We don't have time to go into that this morning either. It says she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she kept wiping them with the hair of her head. Why do you think she was doing that? She was embarrassed. There's extreme vulnerability here. But had Jesus done something into the heart of this prostitute? Had Jesus done something in her heart? 
And she was moved with adoration and devotion and unquestionable love for her Jesus. I dare that Mary would be very, the form of worship that she is exhibiting here, I dare say there are some congregations that would not feel comfortable with what Mary's doing here. And Judah said it was a waste of money. Liar. He kept, and she kept wiping them with the hair of her head. She's so embarrassed. And then she began to kiss his feet. Now, you have to understand, out of all the things on a human body, the one part that I absolutely detest are feet. I hate feet. I can't stand feet. Ugh, they gross me out. I don't know, even if your feet are clean, I don't care. They gross me out. My wife says, oh, my feet are so sore. Good luck with that. <laughs> Still on the journey. But she is kissing Jesus' feet and anointing them with perfume. This is not glorified Jesus. This is open-toed, sandal, dirt road feet of Jesus. Do you catch that? Something is going on in this woman's heart. She has had an encounter with God. And how dare us define for her how she should express that. It is not right. It is not biblical. Jesus said, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offerings and your rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Were they doing it by the book? Their worship service, was it correct on the outside? They had it right. And yet he said, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling, even your Sabbath worship, the calling of your assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity, the iniquity in the of the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. In other places, he says, it makes me so sick, I want to vomit. Your hands are covered with blood. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. They had their worship biblically correct. And yet was their heart filled with worship? How do you get your heart there? Colossians 3.16 Christ's message in all its richness must live in your hearts. How many love that verse? It must dwell richly in your hearts. Teach one another, instruct one another with all wisdom. Sing songs, hymns, and sacred songs, and sing to God with thanksgiving in your hearts. That's what it's all about, amen?
And I'm convinced when it's in your heart, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable spiritual service of worship. Worship goes a lot further than just what's in your heart and what's expressed on a Sabbath morning. Worship is something that takes place in your life every day of the week. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me this morning. I think this subject is far from over in our church. Amen. It is far from over. But I'm tired of the sides. I know that we all have different needs spiritually. But I am praying and pleading with God for maturity as we continue to traverse this issue. Some of you are saying, well, Herb, we still don't know where you stand on that issue. Good! Because I don't want you to. I'm not going to let that out of the bag. God didn't tell me I had to tell that this morning. Some of you are saying, boy, you should go into politics. But I think on both sides of the debate, both of us need to revisit what the biblical definition of worship is. Both of us do. Amen? And worship will never, never be settled. The issue of worship will never be settled by us as a people. As long as Jesus is left standing at the door of the Laodicean church, still knocking. It is not enough to love the Sabbath. We must be a people that also love the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. And then we'll, I think, I think once that transpires, we will start to see with a lot of these issues, whether it be worship or anything else, we'll start seeing, wow, there was a third option we never saw before. May that day come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness this morning and your love. And God, thank you for your patience with us as a people. Father, you've given us such light and such truth and we are still growing and we are still searching and we're still grappling for answers with so many of these issues. I thank you that you're not just wise, but that you're generous. This morning, Father, we need that generosity. We need that grace. We need that mercy. Father, all else aside, whether the subject of worship is ever settled in our church, may we truly begin to, first of all, as Paul preached, become rooted and grounded in the length, depth, height, breadth of your love which surpasses knowledge so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, I don't think until that happens we can really answer some of these things. So, Father, may that come first. We're rooted in the 28, Lord. We're grounded in those. May we become rooted and grounded in your love as well. In your precious name we pray all this. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your patience with me this morning. I promise I won't talk about this again this week.